Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, rockers and rollers of all ages. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to Straight Out the Fridge. My name is Chris Weeks, and I'm joined by... Jay Osborne. And not to mention... Tomek Savinsky. The mighty Tomek Savinsky. Boys, how are we? Good. Excited? Yeah, very excited. Really well. Big episode this week. Big Um, episode, big episode. Contentious episode. Absolutely. I liked your introduction. Willie Weeks, I thought Thank that you. was very yeah. exciting. Oh, and really, great. Um, I didn't mention that you call me Willie, so everyone's now incredibly confused. Because we've mentioned it the last couple of times, I know. and I think we're just going to have to keep carrying on explaining it to everyone because we do have some new listeners. We do, we do. Yeah, no, oh, we're almost for listening in. We're you're, everything all right, Tommy? You all right, mate? Yeah. You're yeah, pleased. well here. Why? Oh, great. No, fine. Yep. Just yeah, I'm just chuffed. No, I must say that the uh, the response to the first episode has been. It's been great, you know, it's been overwhelming considering we've not been around for that long. We've reached the far for f- 50,000 corners of the globe. I mean, there's no corners, it's a circle, isn't it? So it's more of a sphere. <laughs> Professor Osborne over here, all right. Sphere. Have, I, have I just have I just got one over on Chris Weeks? Yeah. And that's well, that's recorded as well. Well, there it is. Yeah. That is yeah. that's amazing. That's, that's actually made my I mean, Is it amazing? Made my 2020. Well, God knows well, something. Well, it's been a great year so far. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What a year. We smashed it, boys. Yeah. You are responsible for this as well, Tommy. But no, look. I know. It's my fault. We know. What, look, why are we here? Come on. What's the big contentious issue of this episode, Tommy? Great question, Chris. Thanks, mate. Um, so we're here to talk about the first rock and roll song. Mm. And I don't know about you, boys, but I did quite a lot of research on this. Um, and there's a lot of cross people out there about what this first rock and roll song is yeah there's a lot of people that know their stuff i tell you what i'll give, I'll give them that they know their that's things. very generous of you mate well done um and uh there's actually there's a lot of people that just goes i didn't elvis presley invent rock and roll and i'm just like ah come on now uh <laughs> but uh yes i don't think you know he can claim that he's the inventor of rock and roll but although he is the king of it but i mean yeah i mean i don't know about you boys did you did you sort of find the same I mean, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What I found really funny actually was um, the fact that when me and Willie were looking into it, you were getting angry at how angry people were getting. Yeah, I am. I'm still angry oh, about I love that. Chris Weeks angry. I'm one of the angry people it. now, but for a different reason. <laughs> no. Everyone is so angry about um, about it being a specific like about there being technical specifications for it being the first rock and roll song oh it has to be in 4-4 no it can't swing too much oh the backbeat has to be it just irritates the bejesus out of me all right i'm not interested in technical specifications of music because that is not what rock and roll is about 100 percent. i, I agree just okay. can't get on board with it so look forward to that you're right. everything all right at home mate? i'm just i mean we're at home and yeah obviously not yeah um, <laughs> last week we did our um, first week, which was on the one and only King Elvis Presley. Um, and this week is our first topic week. And as Tomic said, this week we're asking the big question, what was the first rock and roll song? Um, I think the best place to uh, start would probably be um, maybe have some sort of timeline, wouldn't you say? I'd love oh, a, I love go. a timeline. Here I'm all about go. the timelines. Did you like your um your little theme tunes I made for you for those times? I mean, did I like it? Uh, you went to a I lot mean, of I effort. laughed. I mean, yeah. I mean, how long did that take you to record, mate? Why are you saying it in that, that little tone? jingle? 
It didn't take long at all. I mean, we were you were there oh. probably about what ten minutes, ten hour, uh, minutes, yeah. So maybe, that's yeah. how long you'll spend writing me a little song. Ten minutes. He's professional. He knows what he's doing. I don't, I don't need to muck around. Yeah. I just do it for a living. Well, I don't know. It's just the energy that you you know when you sing Tom Excite. It doesn't sound very exciting to me. Wow. Okay. Right. Don't give him a theme song this episode then. No. 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 I, no. 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 Get rid of it, mate. Forget it. You didn't. You didn't say. You didn't say you want some notes. You just. No. 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 Get rid of it. I, yeah, I I didn't ask for notes. I just wanted your sort of, you know, your basic. You just wanted me to instantly opinion. like it. Yeah. Well, there's love gone into it. It's like if someone draws you a really bad picture for Christmas. Like you still yeah. go, oh, thanks, that's really nice, but it doesn't mean you like it. Yeah. Look, let's just do it. This is uh... Tom X timeline. Tom X timeline. 1917. The original Dixieland Jazz Band, or ODJB, was a Dixieland Jazz combo that recorded Lively Stable Blues. This became the first jazz record ever issued. 1920. The Jazz Hounds were asked to record a song written by Perry Bradford called Crazy Blues, and ready to sing it with them was Mamie Smith. It is the first evidence of recorded blues. 1923. The first commercial recording of what is widely considered to be the first country song featuring vocals and lyrics was Fiddlin' John Carson with Little Log Cabin in the Lane for OK Records. 1938. Sister Rosetta Tharp scores the first million-selling gospel record with the hit single This Train. Tharp was the dominant gospel music performer of the late 1930s and 1940s, mixing soulful guitar licks and big band accompaniment with sacred lyrics. 1943 First Billboard Sales Chart Billboard magazine releases its first record sales chart, The Hit Parade. 1948 Race Records Produced King Records begins producing race records, music produced primarily by and for African Americans. 1949 LPs introduced. Columbia Records releases the first 33 rotations per minute long play album, a record that can hold up to 20 minutes of music per side, which allows the listener to sit back and relax for a good while before they have to flip it to the other side. Still. 1949. Jerry Wexler coined the term rhythm and blues for the magazine's black music chart to replace the term race music. Still, 1949. Fats Domino records several tracks for Imperial Records, including The Fat Man, which is regarded by some as the first rock and roll record. 1951. Racy Lyrics Band. The Domino's record, 60 Minute Man, breaks onto the rhythm and blues charts, quickly becoming a number one hit. With its pornographic lyrics, I rock and roll them all night long, I'm a 60 minute man. The song is soon banned on many radio stations. Still 1951. Jackie Brinston and Ike Turner's King of Rhythm record, Rocket 88, a chart topper and later considered by some to be the first rock and roll record is released. Right, why do you have to put that... Why do you have to put that music on underneath? Because I don't sound very cool, do I? I, I? I have nothing to do with putting that music on underneath. No, no, the music's that just there. That's kind of just there. It was there when right. you sent the recording well, over. It's very off-putting. It's very off-putting. You, you, well. I just get it through and I put it on like that. So. Yeah. I think it works. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's staying now, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um. So where are we going to begin, gents? Well, I mean, well, so I actually struggled with that um, timeline 
this week mainly because like i mean where do you start where do you start with this mm. so basically i just sort of went away and looked at what people seem to think is the makeup of rock and roll and sort of where it starts and also i tried to go with what was recorded first so like the first jazz track the first sure. blues track you know um because as we know like gospel dates back to i think written uh, the first person to write anything about gospel music was in the 1600s so obviously i didn't want to go and do the history of gospel music i went away and sort of talked about each individual recording and sort of moments in time towards rock and roll music mm. basically so i don't know i think we should can we kind of define what rock and roll is oh, is, that in- a, is that too broad are you talking about... What um, we, as in what we're looking for? What we're looking for in this song? Sh- well, why don't we start with the phrase rock and roll. Oh, yeah. And actually the, told me about this earlier this week. The etymological origins of the phrase, because mm-hmm. it is something that has an origin, mm. or like the genre itself has several origins, which will lead up to one glorious whole. That's you, Tomic. And... Uh. Uh, I mean, Jay, would you, Professor Osborne, would you like to lead us through? Yeah. So, I, you know, when we were sort of t- thinking about how we were going to lay this podcast out, um, this specific episode, um, it was always like where there's there's no start, there's no beginning. It's the whole sort of like chicken and egg situation where, you know, what came first and who did this and who did that. And like you said, Tomic, you did a lot of research uh, with things like, um, you know, the genre uh, and the styles and stuff and mm. what makes up rock and roll, you know. Um, but I sort of thought to myself, well, let's just sort of take a step back and, um, and think about this and think about the actual phrase itself. Like, you know, what's the, what's the, what is the like definition of rock and roll? Where does it come from? Um, and I did a little bit of research this week and, um, uh, I came up with this. So where did the phrase rock and roll actually come from? Its origins might surprise you. It comes from as early as the 17th century and was originally used by mariners to describe the combined rocking and rolling motion of the ship. The phrase also acquired sexual connotations from early sea shanties, like this line from the early shanty Johnny Boker. Oh, do me Johnny Boker, come rock and roll me over. Do me Johnny Boker, do. And moving a good few years on, the 1896 recording The Camp Meeting Jubilee, both by Edison Mail Quartet and the Columbia Quartet, is one of the earliest recordings to reference the phrase. It combined the lyrics, keep on rocking and rolling in the arms, in the arms of Moses. Keep on rocking and rolling in your arms, rocking and rolling in your arms, rocking and rolling in your arms, in the arms of Moses. It's also been said to have been used by railroad workers in the early 20th century, when the men would swing their hammers to create a large hole in a rock. Another man would hold a steel spike and rock it back and forth to clear the rock. By this time, the words rocking and rolling were still being used in a sexual context. And you can see examples of this being used in certain terms that we still use today, like rolling around in the sheets and rolling around in the hay. The phrase became even more frequently used within the black community, not just as a sexual reference, but for things like partying and dancing. Moving on to 1922, blues singer Trixie Smith used the two words for the first time in secular music in her recording of My Man Rocks Me. In 1927, blues singer Blind Blake used the lyrics, Now we gonna do the old country rock, 
First thing we do, swing your partners, in the song West Coast Blues. Later, the traditional country musician Uncle Dave Macon, with his group The Fruit Jar Drinkers, recorded Sail Away Ladies with the lyrics, Don't She Rock Daddy-O. In 1928, Duke Ellington recorded Rocking in Rhythm, followed by Robinson Knights of Rest recording Rocking and Rolling in 1930. In 1932, the phrase rock and roll was first heard in the Howl Roach movie Asleep in the Feet. A few years later, in 1934, the Boswell sisters had a hit with Rock and Roll, used in the movie Transatlantic Merry-Go-Round, where the term was used in its original sense to describe the motion of the ship at sea. A year later, in 1935, Henry Red Allen recorded Get Rhythm In Your Feet and Music In Your Soul, which used the lyric, If Satan Starts To Hound You, Commence To Rock And Roll. Two other notable recordings released in 1938 using this phrase were Rock It For Me with Ella Fitzgerald and Rock Me by Sister Rosetta Thorpe. As the early 1940s rolled around, the phrase rock and roll was also being used in record reviews by Billboard journalist Mori Orodenka. In the May 1942 issue, for example, he described Sister Rosetta Thorpe's vocals on a re-recording of Rock Me as rock and roll spiritual singing. And on the October issue, he described Count Basie's It's Sandman as an instrumental screamer, which displays its rock and roll capacities when tackling the righteous rhythms. The meaning of the phrase became even more popularised in 1947 in Roy Brown's song Good Rocking Tonight. Well, I heard the After its huge commercial success, many other R&B artists began using similar titles. These styles of music were generally looked at as race music, or as we sometimes hear it, as rhythm and blues, and was hardly heard or known by any of the mainstream white audiences. However, in 1951, Cleveland disc jockey Alan Freed began broadcasting rhythm and blues for his multiracial audiences and used the phrase rock and roll to describe the music that he aired over his station WJW. After a night of very heavy drinking, he and his friends came up with the name The Rock and Roll Party as a replacement name for his show to describe the music that he was actually playing. As his show became even more popular, the term became widely used to describe the style of music that we know and love today. Wow, nice work, Jay. That was lovely. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Boring stuff, but... Boring stuff? <laughs> 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 Professor Osborne. It's, I sound so boring, don't I? You don't sound boring. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't. You sound you learned sound cool. and wise. <laughs> Because you don't have <laughs> underneath you. You've got a cool, like, you've mixed that nicely. Yeah, you but that's the beauty of me being the editor, is that I can put one yeah, on behind me. Yeah, Although, if you do it, listen yeah. back to the very start of the music I use, uh, it does sound like something that you'd find off Peppa Pig. That's true. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which is, we've got you know, it, you know, this is for all ages. Yeah, um, I blame my two-year-old son for that. Yeah, I, I, I thank, I thank him. Yeah, oh yeah, it's great music. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's it was such a cool um, uh, thing to look at because you're kind of like, oh, wow, where do I start? And personally, I always, always thought it was the whole... Um, Oh, rock and roll comes from, you know, the sexual connotations, uh, especially mm. within like the black community of uh, the sort of uh, 1930s and 40s, uh, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, obviously rocking and rolling. And then that it moved mm. into the music kind of scene mm. and and sort of took over from there. But yeah, when I researched it and found out that um, the, the original term was in like sea shanties and stuff, like I was like, wow, that's because that's, you know, that's. That's so long ago, and then yeah, and then all of a sudden, it's kind of like this phrasing goes on for like you know two or three or four hundred years, and then all of a sudden it starts getting used in a completely different context. So, um, and then yeah, and then starts moving into um, into into a specific like culture, um, ethnicity, uh, and then eventually into that music, and then becomes you know the forefront word for the genre. Uh, we know, uh, yeah. and that mainly due to, um, uh, you know, being put on a radio station and being described as, okay, this music is now rock and roll. So um, I just found it really fascinating. But it's good because um, I kind of feel that that, um, that little sort of timeline I did, which, you know, wasn't Atomic's timeline, I'll give it that, but what could be at that standard? Well, you know, only time will tell, won't it? Right. Um, but what I found with um, <laughs> that timeline, um, like comparing it to yours, is like mm. they they kind of like feed off each other. It kind of, for me, yeah, feels definitely. like we've honed in, not specifically on like the exact song and time and date and artist and record label and whatever, but we've kind of narrowed our field a little bit mm. as to sort of where, yeah, where we could be now placing, you know, our, our, our date time yeah well, it's funny you said about ships because i when i did my research on what the rock and roll actually is uh it came up with uh cars and trucks were being a bit more available to people in the 1940s and early 50s um and so the slang was the rock and roll of you know getting a girl or or a partner to get in the car with you and you know it's a little bit of a as you said in the thing sort of you know roll under the sheets type vibes of mm. rock and roll in the car you know in the car would physically shake um, and it's a you know a bit of a bit of naughtiness, a bit of mischief. Well, you kind so, of think, um, don't you? Like, like we have so many resources at our fingertips now. You know, the internet, yeah. on our phone. You know, we like have have libraries and things. And I mean, okay, yeah, we've had libraries for like you know two or three hundred years now. But you know, back in those days, they weren't about. And so words were just kind of bandied about and put onto different kind of meanings and phrases. And someone's just got to hear that kind of phrase once and think, oh, that could be you know, that could be used for this or that or interpret it in a different way. You know, it's like Chinese whispers over like a long yeah. period mm. of time. It absolutely um, And that kind of makes it more exciting. So like you said, you found out that it was from like, like the trucks and the cars and things. And I found yeah. out it was from boats and stuff, you know, but who's to say it's from any of them um, or, or not True. both of them, you know, so it's, there's always going to be that mystery. Well, it goes back to that thing that we were talking about right at the very start, even before the Elvis episode, which is that it's the rock and roll culture is like the folk culture as in folk tales and folk stories in that it's passed yeah. down through word of mouth in a lot of ways like obviously it became uh, it's it's a big recording industry and world but um like the as you're saying the the words started so much earlier and then were appropriated much in the same way that 
various musical styles were appropriated and became rock and roll. It's like mm. nowadays, if something is um, is rock and roll, it's not that it belongs in a genre of music. It's that it's a certain lifestyle. It's a certain look. Yeah. It's a certain way of being. So it's sort of been appropriated again by fashion and by by things that it, it isn't necessarily strictly about, if you know music what I mean. on more of a like a materialistic or yeah. like like an attitude point yeah it's view. a worldview yeah, sort of yeah. thing mm. but you, i mean you can else. press that onto pretty much most genres these days you know look at like hip-hop and rap and stuff and yeah punk. it's it's yeah punk um yeah uh, you know even like jazz and stuff you know yeah. you kind of you go for the stereotypical like looks and yeah and, yeah and phrases and styles and songs mm. and techniques and things um so yeah it's, it's a great point it's a really great point yeah it, but it always had to start somewhere as you boys have been saying and um mm-hmm. it, it's it's a really difficult thing to sort of define but so so boys to me the we've been talking about the phrase and the expression rock and roll and it's various different um sort of uh, connotations and how it's been adapted and absorbed by society to me it means something very specific i'm sure or i I can't I can't specify what it means, but I know what the feeling of it is. I'm sure it's the same for you boys too. So Tomic, let me ask you, master of the timeline as you are, which was the first one of those songs which made you think, Oh yeah, yeah, this is it. This is this is this is where it starts for me. Uh, well that's a horrible question, isn't it? That's a horrible noise. Horrible you just noise. Made. Sounded like you'd fallen uh, over and hurt your knee. Well, maybe I have. Well, you haven't. No, you? I haven't. No, you haven't. Oh. No, I know, but no, but just it's just nice to think I have. Right. So, <laughs> when did it all start for me? Yeah. Well, on. I don't know. I think uh, it's because it is talking about songs. I think I'm going to have to sort of just play some that I found. Okay. <laughs> Chris Powell and the Five Blue Flames was his backing band, mm-hmm. which is a great name uh, for yeah, a, a band. Great name, yeah. Oh, the five especially Blue back Flames. in that late forties, like what a great name for a band. So, so this is this is the the label was Columbia, mm-hmm. um, recorded under Columbia, and obviously by then we'd kind of got to what rhythm and blues is. Okay. So even though they're called the Five Blue Flames, they sort of you know developed into rhythm and blues. Now. We, there's a lot of people that like to think the distorted guitar seems to be yeah, rock and roll. That's one of those flavors that keeps on cropping up, and isn't it? The thing is, from my research, is that distorted guitar has been around for quite a while. Mm. It's not a, it's not necessarily a rock thing. Um, so, so for that, this track for me, I don't know. There's something about it. It's not jazz. The sax is leading it. The boys are all the back going. You know, we're gonna rock. Rock this now, we're gonna rock. And the walking bass line behind the rhythm. Yeah. Uh, so it's twelve to, to bar as well, one, isn't it? Right. It's, it's twelve bar, and it's and, twelve and, bar. Yeah, and that there's that double. For me, it's that that upright banging yeah. away, walking up and down. Yeah. With that real heavy forward on the foot swing. It's that kind of real bushy mm, okay. essence that I feel personally. You know, just my opinion. Other people will probably think differently, but that I feel that that's where it's moving on from 
big band, yeah. doo-wop, yeah, 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 yeah. jive into that kind of rock and roll. Oh, this is, yeah, because some people call this jump blues as well. Yeah. Because obviously so, it has kind of got that jump style to it. Yeah, that that's um, sort of where I feel this one is more. This feels yeah. like a a subsection that came, from, from my yeah. perspective, before straight ahead rock and roll. I think this is like the younger brother of rock yeah, and roll. Yeah, where you can start to feel it starting to cook. And yeah. the, all the ingredients are there in some form or another. And like the feel that you're talking about, Tomek, of everyone being mm. there, having the time of their lives, all of the energy is there. I absolutely buy that. Um, and the... And also this is... Go on. Carry, no, no, go on. for me. No, I was, I was just going to say, this is where jazz and big band, let's come back to jazz and big band, because uh, rock and roll has a lot to do with this. I th- there seems to be a sort of a split in terms of what audiences wanted. Okay. There was the sort of more complex... Uh, harmonies and rhythms and more the more sort of experimental sound and the ones that wanted the sort of fun simplicity yeah and now you know anyone that's done a rock and roll gig before will be like oh it's easy it's just three chords now we know you've got to pour your heart and soul into it to make it good there's a difference sure. between being just a, a pub band you know they did yeah they did you know johnny be good and it was fine and there's a difference between somebody absolutely rocking their ass off so with that in mind the as you were just saying the energy of this song is getting somewhere because rhythm of blues can be i say back foot lightly in the sense i don't mean it is behind it the beat yeah it sits back yeah, it in sits, the way that blues that's, that's does. Better yeah exactly that yeah and i feel like this is really knocking on the door almost punching through it um for me and actually later on in the in the track there mm. is a guitar solo and it is recorded on a clean jazz guitar and i played this jay earlier in the um last week and I said, this is probably the only thing that makes it not rock and roll, in my right. opinion. But then, Jay, you said, but he's not playing jazz. He's not playing a jazz solo. No. Um, let's play it now. Let's play it now. And just have a listen. See the difference between the other kind of instrumentation on the track. I'll play a few uh, a few seconds before it. Um, and then I will... Um, uh, and then play through the solo. And then a little bit after that. Just so you kind of get the context of it. Because it is very different. Have a listen. crazy it's kind of it's got that jazz tone it's yeah, got that it kind of jazz technique um but he's using uh you know for anyone out there uh, that's you know knows your scales he's he's using major minor major pen minor pen and the blue scale which uh if anyone knows about playing rock and roll um is pretty much all you use <laughs> um <laughs> which you know but but you know when you're working with jazz it's very different you're moving with the chord uh, chord changes so there's that which is really different so is it that it's the choice yeah. of the notes as it were he's he's not worrying about following the changes as you would in a jazz song he's he's focusing on the the feel because it's an exuberant yeah. solo yeah. right it's a solo which is it's a party solo at the end of the day, yeah, do you know what I mean? Sec- that second phrase, that, I mean, because he actually does two two twelve bars, effectively, right. doesn't he? Um, and um, 
that second bit when he's just right at the top of the neck and and I saw you rocking out I saw your face was sort of going yeah yeah you know like sort of like it's just kind of it's uh, just pushing it I think there's and a difference really there's a massive get... difference yeah. so we're looking at that year that year was 49 right? yeah 49 that well, seems quite early it does but I can go earlier gentlemen. oh oh hello no yeah and I'm gonna take us back we, we it was on the the tail end of my um oh yeah of my what do, what do you call it what's the word for we it? called it Jay's eh, eh, eh. Jay's uh, ep, ep, Jay's epilogue, epilogue. Yeah. No, that's what I called it earlier, and you laughed at me. Jay soliloquy. Ah, oh, just my thingy. <laughs> just, oh, my Jay's sonnet. Jay's sonnet. Expounding. Yeah. Jay's, Jay's my sonnet. sonnet. Um, and we're going back to um. Hello, I'm Jay. <laughs> Welcome to my sonnet, Professor Osborne. Um, of nightmares or dreams. Um. So yeah. No. I'm going. Uh, so we're going to go a year. Before forty nine, which that? Um, right, okay. is if if I'm working that out properly, it's nineteen forty eight. Um, Not bad. And Good we're going to go back to what I was talking about earlier on uh, with Roy Brown uh, and ah. and Good Rocking Tonight. Sure. Um, which was um, which hit the Billboard R and B charts uh, in late forty eight uh, and was like number thirteen and was massive and was huge and like. You listen to that song, and for me, that is that's kind of right up there with like the first kind of rock and roll song. Um, okay, that you know, I'm not saying that that is it, right? Because I yeah. don't think I could possibly do Look that. How nervous he is! It's not. Yeah, he really is. I'm not saying <laughs> it is. Yeah, oh, I'm shaking a bit. I was putting my back out. Um, but like, it's. I mean, it's very early, isn't it? 1948. Mm. You know, and and this track comes out, and again, it's got that same sort of feel to the track that you just showed us, Tomic, which was, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's very much on the front foot. You've got that walking line. Um, let's just have another bit of a listen to yeah, it. Yeah, come on to it. Unbelievable that song, isn't it? Like, I I challenge anyone to sit there and not like tap their leg or like nod their head to that because that yeah. take a moment for that voice. Oh, oh now just everything. Goodness like, me, you grimace throughout the whole of that. But, like it, it's because when he slides after those know. big notes, you just think. I, I mean, it's wonderful. Look, I've got a tiny little uh, a little anecdote about him when he sang the song over the phone um, to the president of Deluxe Records. Uh, he mm-hmm. said, uh, the president said, oh, can you sing it a second time? And then he told uh, Cecil Gant, 
to um, give him $50 and don't let him out of your sight. Imagine hearing that voice for the first time and being like, I want it. I want it. Give it to me yeah, right now. Because the story about yeah. him is, is that he, uh, when when he uh, basically moved to the big city and he had this song, Good Rockin' Tonight, and he was like, this is a winner. Like, this yeah. is new. This oh, is something yeah. fresh. And he was going around and he was trying to sell this song and no one was buying it. And then one night he went and he saw uh, Cecil Gann at the, uh, at, I don't know where that was, um, at some sort of uh, hotel or, or concert hall or something uh, where he was playing. And he met up with him afterwards and said, I've got this great track. And yeah. Cecil was like, oh, okay, um, well, you know, show it to me. And he sort of sung it to him. And he just rang up his record label straight away and said, listen to this. And like you said, he, he sung it over to the phone. And within like, I think it was like a week or two, they had it recorded. And yeah. that's when it hit the billboards and went up. And, you know, oh, and it just, I mean, it's, it's just such a, tr- like, for me, I get a, I love jazz. I love big band. I love you know do up and everything we all do we all have that equal love for all these things but i mm-hmm. i get a certain feel and feeling from each of those different styles and genres and that feeling i get from listening to that is not the feeling i get from listening to jazz or big band or yeah, do, do you know what i mean it's absolutely. something else yeah, and yeah it's it's got that same that that same those same components that we were just talking about with the previous track, it's got that walking bass line. It's got that like pushy drum, you know, listen to the guitar. Yeah. Oh, that guitar solo yeah, is amazing. out of this world. We look at 1948. This is just after World War II, right? And th- that guitar sounds like it could be pumping through a distortion pedal through yeah. this big cabinet. And we know it wasn't, you know, we know our stuff. This is just a humble little guitar going straight into this tiny little 30 watt if that valve amp that is just being cranked up and those valves are boiling to the point where that guitar is just pushing out which says to me that guitar that amp needs to be that loud to get that tone yeah which means Mm. the rest of the band are pumping and pushing yeah really really giving it and that for me is is the is the real essence you know, the real kind of thing that gives rock and roll that heart. Right. Big, rocking, pushing, loud, frustrating rhythm that you're constantly fighting against everyone and everything, you know, volume-wise, yeah. like tonality-wise, everything. And that's that. That's the change for me, is is between sure. that and, and the old style of big bandish music that we hear. Yeah, no, I can really see that. And I've read um, somewhere, I can't remember who it was who said it, but they said that if you're not listening to rock and roll at top volume so that the neighbours are coming around complaining, you're not doing it right because that's how it needs to be heard. And you're absolutely right. It's almost Mm. at that breaking point. It's like um, the stallion cutting loose and you're just about holding on to it before it gets away from you, you know? That solo, that solo is like... It's like an archetypal rock and roll solo. Like there are so many elements in it, the double stops and the bends and all but of the hear runs. He was doing like intervals with like sixths and stuff. And like and and I was just thinking like how many of these rock and roll songs that that everyone around the world uh, you know knows um, have listened to that song and gone, oh that's cool. I'm going to borrow that. I'm going to borrow this. Yeah, you know, yeah. Take, because yeah, yeah. Hear it. I tell you now, I've learned most like well-known rock and roll solos. But I haven't learned that one, and I am gonna learn that yeah, one because yeah, yeah. there are so many things in there that I think, oh, that is tasty. That's lovely. That's really good. You know, it's 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 amazing, and that's going to be an off the cuff set. That's going to be a proper rock and roll solo, which is I haven't really planned this. I'm just going to play this as it is and see what yeah. comes out. Yeah, and what has come out is pure, pure 
unadulterated, filthy rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's you. It's one of those things where if you were to go and learn that solo note for note and transcribe it as it were you would find um you would start to feel yourself doing the things that you've done a million times before in that slightly different way mm. and you would start to recognize the 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 influences that it's had but sort of backwards so you'd be like oh this is a bit like this this is a bit like that mm. that is where a lot of it will have come from and obviously it'll, it influences will have led to that solo same thing with the vocals like you listen to that voice yeah. and you think oh, okay yeah a little bit little richard you know i mean there's, yeah. a, there's there's so much and bits of elvis and, and all Absolutely. these people who came further down the line um but then you hear the the influences that he has probably taken like, yeah. like he sounds very cab calloway in yeah. a sense those, those oh, yeah. real big broad vocal yeah, yeah, strides yeah. that he's doing those slides up and down and stuff like he sounds very cab like but you know, so you kind of look at that and go, well, maybe he got it from him, and then, but then, who's getting, who's taking um, stuff from him? You know, yeah. who's, who's? It's just, it goes on and, and on, and it's just amazing. But I, some of, because I say some of Roy Brown, um, his riffs, he does, yeah, the vocal. Te- I mean, there's so many things going on there. I mean, obviously, we know he's a very good blues singer. Gospel, you can sort of hear it as well. But the sort Absolutely, of the bravery and the like, the dexterity he has within his voice to do that i mean it's just uh as you just said when you listen to all these different styles it does something to you but when i hear vocals sung like that that does something to me as well it's sort of like the when you go i can't do that i can sing a song but when somebody does something like that and you go i can't do that as well as you that's what makes me go wow now that is interesting because I've I've heard a uh, a similar quote, but the reverse about rock and roll, which is that people listen to it and it's down to earth enough mm-hmm. that they think, yeah, I could do that. They listen yeah. to the three chords being smacked out in a twelve bar, and they yep. think, yeah, that could be me as well. But, and that that levels the playing field for them as listeners. Yeah, but then what's interesting about that is that they don't play it how they've listened to it. They, in some sense, play it in a way that is good for them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I will listen to, I don't know, say let's, you know, let's go back to Elvis last week. I'll, I'll listen to some Scotty Moore, Elvis's guitarist, to learn something like that. And I'll try and play it like him. And then I end up playing it a different way. Yeah. And then it becomes my, like, my way. And, and it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of that weird reverse, isn't it? Where you're, you, you're not trying to, listen to something and and nail it and recreate what's been created you're taking something and learning it and then realizing oh i've, I've just kind of like created something else yeah. and that definitely happens with a lot of other genres of music for sure Absolutely. but um you know we're just relating it back to rock and roll in this instance so. yeah but i think mm. that um you're talking about it from a musician's point of view and i think that's absolutely true other musicians will be listening to that and thinking great absolutely sounds like they're having the time of their lives i want me a piece of that and i can do it but the audiences as well, who are not musicians and instrumentalists, listen to it and they think, oh, okay, this is close enough to to my understanding of, of music in my head that I can I can be there with them and imagine that I'm doing it as well. Do you mm. know what I mean? Whereas if you imagine the sure. period that's come before, the jazz uh, the jazz world is very complex mm. in comparison. The chords and the chord progressions are complex. The scales, uh, all, the, all the modes, all of the stuff that's going on is very, very complex and it's almost designed mm. to to outfox the mind in a way. It's a very, very intellectual form it's, of music. It's, yeah, it's like a um it's like a moving puzzle that yeah. you're constantly having to complete and stay yeah. on top of. And and it's like yeah. people don't listen to Charlie Parker and they think, Oh yeah, I could do that. 
Do you know no, what I mean? Exactly. No. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Because it's it's there's so much going on in Charlie Parker's head that and, and there's obviously he's it's all infused with a great amount of feeling as well because that's how he communicates. Sure. But rock and roll is such feeling that people recognize it, and it's a bit like Shakespeare, right? Shakespeare is a complex way of of um of speaking like shakespeare's language is complex in that that's how he puts across these huge emotions but at the end of the day it's about the huge emotions which is why the plays have stuck around because people recognize that huge sense of jealousy that leads to like murder and death and they recognize these huge universal feelings it's the same thing with the rock and roll it's about those massive universal feelings that sit underneath it and people go yeah i felt something like that when i've been at my absolute most exuberant Mm. that's how i felt i've been jumping around to this this relatively simple rhythm having the time of my life Mm. do you know what i mean yeah it's what you make of it for sure i love that chris that was brilliant hey tomic thanks I really enjoyed that. I was like, oh, he's going talking about Shakespeare now. Look, rock and roll podcast. I can't talk about what Sinatra the... anymore. I've used up my Sinatra <laughs> allowance. Yeah, your Sinatra card has for this month it's, been yeah. spent. It really has. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame. I hope I get some points. No, that was for it, brilliant. Though. I really enjoyed it. So, but, okay, so we, we, we've now spoke about Roy Brown, and you know, um, we've kind mm-hmm. of very, very hastily um, skipped over Ike Turner, Rocket Eighty Eight. Which, I mean, if well, you go, if you go say, into this is a tricky one, isn't it? I think when you ask kind of like a person that isn't necessarily into rock and roll, what was the first rock and roll song? And I have done this before. I have asked people, you know, members of my family or friends or other musicians I work with that aren't necessarily into, you know, the rock and roll, rockabilly uh, style scene. And the majority of them, a lot of the time, will say Bill Haley, Rock Around the Clock. Yes. Ah. Um, which you would kind of... You know, in a way, be forgiven in thinking because you know that's that's quite early on. Um, it's the first like big number one, exactly. Right. It's we're, we're looking at like the weeks the big and weeks. Yeah, yeah, commercial, yeah. huge commercial, like colossal tune. Yeah. You know, like the film was written for it for God's sake. Yeah. Like, um, but then if you actually go onto Google and type in what is the first rock and roll song, if you literally type that in and press enter, Ike Turner, Rocket Eighty Eight will come mm. up, which to start off with, is an unbelievable song. You've heard the noise they make, but let me introduce my new Rocket 88. Yes, it's great, just one way. Everybody likes my Rocket 88. Baby, we'll ride in style, moving all along. This was recorded um, by Sam Phillips uh, at... uh, the Memphis Recording Studio, which would later become Sun Studios. Um, he was a producer on that track, who, as a lot of us will know, and from listening to last week's podcast, um, was Elvis's first um, record producer. Um, basically made Elvis. Hmm. Um, but uh, So Sam Phillips was the producer on that, and Ike Turner wrote the song. Um, and just as a little bit of side trivia, Ike Turner would eventually become... Uh, uh, the husband to a lady that we now know as Tina Turner. Yes, that's um, right. And produced a lot of her first tracks. Um, 
I want to know what you guys think in regards to like why people think that that song was possibly the first rock and roll song. I think I know why. Okay. But I'm interested to see what you guys think. So I think that a big part of it is Sam Phillips himself. Exactly. That's, Be- that's my, my yeah. point of thought. Yeah. Because he said that it was essentially that it all started there. And he said that he'd had success before Elvis, etc., building up his own sort of um, mystique and legend and aura. And Rocket 88 was the song that he said was the first big hit for him that, that was rock and roll. And so it was the start of rock and roll. And of course, there's the, um, they damaged the amp on the way in and the woofer was blown and he stuffed it with paper. And so it's distorted. And so there's that sound, which Tomek was talking about as yeah. well, um, which, which is also considered a very distinct part of what rock and roll came to be. Uh, I just want to point out at this point, boys, that we should say, like the songs that we've been talking about so far in, in 48 and 49, a lot of people would say that they're, they're jump blue songs yeah. and they're, you know, they're jive and their elements are swing and all that in there. It, this is one of those situations where uh, you can't necessarily trust what's written because even now people will go on they will go on the information of the time. So those songs were defined at the time by the information that was available at the time. It was in the jump blues era. And so people will not definitively say that things are rock and roll because rock and roll didn't exist. Yeah. Well, I'm listening to my fantastic sonnet earlier. Um, Beautiful. Beautiful thing. Um, You'll know that like the words were around. They were being used in various connotations and and things, very uh, different contexts. But... Yeah, like you're saying, and actually I never thought of it like that. That's really interesting. Like, if that genre name hasn't been created, then it's it's not going to be applied to that music. So it's going to be another genre yeah. around that. Oh, that's, is, what, that's how people will consider it, even yeah. if it is rock and roll. It's like that thing of um, what was the tallest mountain before Everest was discovered. Yeah, It's yeah, still yeah. Everest. It's just Everest hasn't been discovered. Yeah, yet. absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's that. So people put different labels on it, but we, we can't necessarily trust what they say. Yeah. Um, so, and so bringing it back to, to Rocket 88, which again exists before any sort of official, like, I mean, it's it, what the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame adopted it officially, mm-hmm. as it were, yeah. as the, the first rock and roll song in 93 or whenever it was. Um, but it's very difficult to put an official label on any of these things. But um, to go back to your original point, it, it's got to be Sam Phillips. It's got to be the Sam well, Phillips endorsement of the song. Oh, what Tomek, do you think Tomek said, well. Which what do you either think? means he's ready for some food or he he uh, has something else to add on to this conversation. Or or both. It, well, I was going to say, what do you think Ike Turner thought about the song? Because here he is now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> very good oh. um, because so, I have where is he a quote where is he I don't know actually is he al- he's alive isn't he no I mean if no. you've got him in your house you should know <laughs> oh god this is awful I don't even know he's alive I've done oh. so much research I know the on answer this, to this and so does Chris and it's just funny watching you squirm go no, on mate. you take your I'm time uh, he is no because I don't want to offend people because his family might be listening. Ike Turner, Tina Turner's going to be listening to yeah. this podcast. She's a big fan. She might be. She's a fan of mine. Hi, he Tina. Is, she listens to anything he I has, do. He has unfortunately passed away. What, um, since he's been in I your know. house? <laughs> no, but I have. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done do. with him, Tomek? Uh, 
Yes. Uh, I have a quote from him. Oh, go on. And here we go. Just before we go. Ahead. Help me. I'm stuck in Tomek's house. <laughs> He's trying to kill me. <laughs> Worst Ike Turner impression I've ever heard. Ike Turner could take Tomek, definitely. Oh, I mean, anyone could. Sorry, Brilliant. let's get back okay. to this. The quote I found. Okay, here we go. Ike Turner. I don't think the Rocket 88 is rock and roll. I think the Rocket 88 is R&B, but I think Rocket 88 is the cause of rock and roll existing. Sam Phillips got Dewey Phillips, not related, to play Rocket 88 on his programme. And this is like the first black record to be played on a white radio station. And man, all the white kids broke out to the record shops to buy it. So that's when Sam Phillips got the idea, well, man, if I get me a white boy to sound like a black boy, then I got me a gold mine, which is the truth. Yeah. And so when he got Elvis and he got Jerry Lee Lewis mm. and a bunch of other guys, and so they named it rock and roll rather than R&B. And so this is the reason I think rock and roll exists. Not that Rocket 88 was the first one, but that was what caused the first one. So what you're saying is, is that potentially you're going back on what you said at the start of this podcast, Tomic, which is... <gasps> no, no, I didn't. Well, listen, you, you, you may well be, because the thing is, um, you know, you're saying that Rocket 88 was the catalyst to uh, rock and roll. Yeah. Um, which would then mean, as you said, Sam Phillips is now looking for, uh, you know, a, a white man with a black voice and yeah. you know, more of like a commercial appeal as it would have been back then. Um, hence, Elvis Presley, which yeah. you said at the start, you know... A lot of people think that he may be the start of rock and roll, because and we saw a lot of a lot of rock and roll, um, you know, fanatics sort of go. Huh, of course, he's not. There's this and there's that and everything. Yeah, else. exactly. But so that's mean, really it's, interesting. Well, it's all to do with marketing, isn't it? As well, I think as well yeah. because when we talk about commercial and America's, I mean, at this point, it actually had two charts as well. He had sort of the R and B charts and the pop charts, and as we know, Elvis sort of merged the two together. I mean, they do kind of exist still to this day, but they, this, th- that's all right. Mama kind of merged the two together in the sense that it got both communities listening to the same track. Um, and so what I think Ike Turner's trying to say here is that because it wasn't played on white radio, it didn't get the press it was deserved because actually this song was picked up in like 1953 again. I think I, I read that it sort of, I mean, it did well in 1951, but it did nowhere near as well as, something like when that's all right mama came out because yeah. it, it had as i said both communities of um uh, people listening to the track so as you said the catalyst of the rock and roll era starting i think did start with rock 88 but as you said before chris with the rock, rock and roll hall of fame i mean a place like that they need to have sort of like bullet points of when things happen so i think they've yeah. just had to go rock 88 i think yeah I think evidence so that- leads towards it but, and it's I mean, enough evidence to be, yeah, to, 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 to be able to put a label on it. And let, yeah. me, let me just mention another quote, which definitely uh, is informed by what you're saying and informs it, um, which is by Fats Domino, who says that rock and roll is nothing but rhythm and blues. And we've been playing it for years down in New Orleans. So from his perspective, it, it is a new marketing strategy for a style of music that he's been doing all this time. And mm. the, the artists like him have been recording and playing all this time. And so when Sam Phillips talks about finding a white man who can do the same job, it, that, that it makes an awful lot of sense that it becomes much more of a marketing ploy. Now, I think that there are other elements which enter into it, especially later, later on in the fifties, not necessarily mm-hmm. early in the fifties. 
um, like different styles and uh, different different sort of feels which come in. But uh, it's very interesting to think that when it came about, the artists who were seemed to be playing it at the time just didn't didn't think of it as a big deal at all. You know, it's it's one of those things that in retrospect is like, oh, this is a massive shift. At the time, they were like, this is pretty much what we've been doing all the time. It's just now all of a sudden yeah, it's in the like public consciousness. That's kind of like a lot of things though, isn't it? Like you look at like a style of dance or something, you know, like, I don't know, let's take um, break dancing for an example. Like, you know, right. as soon as break dancing... Um, you know, someone puts it in their music video and the majority of like the population go, wow, this is a really cool new type of music, uh, new type of dance. But then you have people there going, I was doing that like 10 years ago when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, mm, so you're yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like, you, you know, but then going back to what you were saying, Willie, I, th- I think it, it refers to what I mentioned earlier. It's the difference in like communication between today and and how it was back then. Yeah. Because today, like, we have these, uh, you know, we have the internet and things, so we can we can see different cultures and different styles of, um, you know, of entertainment and, uh, you know, from all around the world, from everywhere. Whereas back in those days, the, there wasn't that. The only thing you had was writing a letter, which has no audio on it, Traditionally, that's true. Yeah, really fun. Um, or the radio. But a lot of the radios back then were done by states. Mm. You wouldn't necessarily get like like a like a nationwide kind of yeah. radio. So, you know, with, like you said, with Fat Statement, he's saying, you know, we did this in New Orleans like years before like everyone else. He could be so right. But then at the yeah. same time, he, he, you know, let's say, yeah, he was doing that back in 46, 47. Who's to say that someone in i don't know canada wasn't doing that before him in 1937 and then who's to say someone in the philippines wasn't doing that do you know what i mean you just you have no idea and there's no record of it there's there's no kind of like what we have now like you know there's no like youtube or, or like facebook or anything that we can go oh hold on we have something to refer back to there was none of that none of this was written down none of this was recorded yeah. you know and technology compared to today was so basic so when fats is kind of saying that um it'd be interesting to know whether he actually thinks that or whether him saying that was just kind of like an example yeah do do you know what i mean as in to say like well look we were doing that years ago so maybe there isn't a beginning to it well this is it and also you have to remember that when when elvis comes on and all of a sudden rock and roll is everywhere and incredibly popular and he is at the forefront of it as a white man, the black community must be thinking, we, we've been doing this for ages and, and no one has been interested. All of a sudden, a white man comes along and the world is set alight. And th- it's mm. a huge part of the rock and roll story is that obviously it, it, it comes from a lot of influences of black music. And it, it takes Sam Phillips knew it and he said it himself that he needed someone mm. who was more marketable, which at the time was a white man who could do what a black man could do, or at least up to a point. Um, it, it just goes to show just the difference, um, the difference between the two the two sides of the coin, as you're saying, Tonic. Yeah. And you can understand why why someone would say that in retaliation to the success of someone else. Because yeah. uh, obviously we know we know facts very well, but he's not Elvis. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he no. he he definitely like the way I kind of see it is like Sam Phillips was the gun, rock and roll was the bullet, and he needed that trigger, and that's that that's what he was looking for. He's which doing was... a metaphor, Tomek. He's doing a metaphor. Oh, I like that. Stand by your beds. 
Does that mean I get a theme tune? Well, you'd write them, so yeah, by, by all means. You give yourself one if you want. Oh, sick. Right, yeah, here, but... we, here we go. Jay's Metaphors. <laughs> That's it. Perfect. I can't believe I've got to work with that. That's <laughs> awful. Jay's Metaphors. <laughs> no, I've got to take the first one. Fine, fair, fair. Um, Brilliant. I'm not going to marker this bit, just so I know that... <laughs> Metaphors. Yeah, I think I did a good job on that theme tune. Oh, that was a lovely theme tune. Just yeah. give, give us the metaphor again. Go on. You oh, the metaphor. Put, Sorry, I thought you meant the song. Yeah, so, yeah. No, no. The way I kind of see it is like Sam Phillips was like the gun, and um, you know the bullet was rock and roll, and he just literally needed that trigger to to fire it off and start that. You know, so like the bullets have always been there. Sam Phillips has always been there. But like, what is it that he needs that is going to really start kicking that out mm. to create that genre? And that is what makes it a really difficult question to answer because then you say, what is the first rock and roll song? Okay, let's class everything that we now class as rock and roll, rock and roll, and go all the way back to the beginning. Well, that's impossible to answer because we actually don't know. And then we go, mm. okay, well, then let's class it from when it, was then classed as rock and roll. Yeah. Is that the first rock and roll song? And then you've got that fight between yourself saying, well, no, because there was rock and roll songs before that. Yeah. So it's it's tough. I was going to say, so we've mentioned Ike Turner, Rocket 88. Mm. And we mentioned Fats briefly, but I mm. want to talk about, so my, my research, it seems to be this, this battle, because um, I actually put it on my timeline as well. Um, the Fat Man, uh, which was released and recorded by Fats Domino, um, as we know, by Imperial Records in 1949, the end of 1949. Yeah. And it just goes back to what you were saying about, you know, we've been doing this for ages in New Orleans. And the, interestingly, it didn't actually do, I mean, it did okay. It did 10,000 copies in yeah. New Orleans in 10 days. That's not bad. That's you know. Great. Uh, and uh, And then it became a national hit in sort of January 1950, again on the R&B charts. But then it sold 1 million copies by 1953. So this is interesting. So like there's this sign of like it stops and then starts again. It's like people sort of go, well, hold on, who was doing this first? So this one, The Fat Man, is also cited as one of the first rock and roll records and uh when you're talking about sort of the, the you know the, the gun metaphor let's use that again and he needs that trigger uh this song kind of has a more of aggressive boogie woogie piano which we haven't actually spoken about as a sort of form of jazz um and very you know sort of a, a passionate sort of uh music of mine especially sort of originating from the new orleans sound yeah uh and boogie woogie piano was sort of nice for your family to listen to and so this aggressive left hand that fats is doing in this track um is is notable um and also i think i think this is what maybe fats was talking about and the fact that we've been doing it for ages and here's my example the fat man But I don't know. There's something about that song. It doesn't do what Rocket 88 does to me. Mm. It doesn't make me feel... I, I'm i not from that era. So, you know, I, I have to kind of recreate the emotions and the feelings they would have felt hearing that for the first time. 
but there's something about it that doesn't feel I don't know. I can't describe it. It just—it's like you know when you get in a car and you go, "This isn't this isn't my this isn't the car for me." And you go, "It's got all these amazing gadgets. It's got amazing these gadgets. And why don't you like it?" And you just go, "It's just not the car for me." And I find it with this song as well. There's I just something. Go, this is yeah. Not, there's something. This is about not rock and roll it. for me. Yeah. It doesn't tick that box. So. Yeah. And I can't really put my finger on it because it has the makeup for it, but it isn't. Yeah. And so this comes back to Sam Phillips again. Uh, I'm not saying he's the inventor of rock and roll, but there's something. It's not just from, it can't just be from the artist. Because as we know, Fast right. Domino is one of my heroes and we will cover him at some point. But it it isn't just from the artist. It can't be. Yeah. It never is. You know. Um, and so, Let, with can that. We, can we take a moment, just coming off that, Tom, we've touched on a few elements of rock and roll, of, of sounds and techniques and things like that. And you know, stuff like the distorted guitar, all of that sort of stuff. Can we talk for a moment mm-hmm. about um, about Chuck Berry? Because if we're talking about yes, the please. artist uh, not bringing everything to the table, Chuck Berry brought, he brought an awful lot to the table. And a fathomable amount. Yeah. I mean, mm. the thing is, I mean, we will be doing more than one episode on him. Of course, think, at some of course. Point, which in itself kind of shows how much of an influence he's had on rock and roll yeah um a lot of people would say that he 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 was the inventor of rock and roll yeah but he's a different kind of rock and roll yeah and again we know this as musicians like when we play in in our band like when we play chuck uh some chuck stuff compared to say like little richard um it's a whole different feel it's a whole different for me it's a whole different guitar technique yeah um oh really i'm not a guitarist so what what do you mean by that why um okay so like you know you're looking at like scotty moore and that kind of rockabilly style it's very plucky you've got like travis techniques like so you're entwining like the bass um the bass notes uh with like melodies and things so it's a lot more kind of um a lot more plucky a lot more tweed in a sense uh mm-hmm. and and in some areas has a lot of jazz rolled in as well. You know, you're chucking in like sixth and ninths all over the place. And there's a huge amount of country in there as well. Right? Oh, 100%. Massive. Yeah, and yeah. Country, te- country technique. Yeah, you know, like a lot, a lot of, of banjo technique, surely. Yeah, picking, a lot of chicken picking, stuff yeah. like that. Um, but then you compare that to someone like Chuck Berry, and that is just chugging. You're really, really chugging. Um, and you're just, you're just dragging along with the whole gun 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 which if you think about it is blues but you're just you're pacing it up and you're not sticking with the rhythm you're fighting against the rhythm mm. a lot, uh, but also leading as well that's also yeah, oh, the yeah. interesting thing the guitar I mean, becomes the lead instrument talking about our, our special guest from last week um chuck mead uh who i said i work with on million dollar quartet um one of the uh one of the most amazing things he ever taught me was that like uh, when you play Chuck Berry, you're literally fighting with everyone else. Uh, and by that, I mean, like, you take a song like Run Run Rudolph and um, the the drums are are playing, like, straight, but then the guitar is swinging. And that, in, like, a musical term, is a nightmare. Yeah. It sounds yeah. in your head and on paper like it would never work. But it's that fighting with the rhythms that make that rock and roll and rock and roll and always fighting. And it's like you're walking through mud, you know, and it's, that is completely different to, um, to, you know, Scotty Moore. 
yeah. or Carl Perkins. Sure. Or, Which is, it's a decorative or little, or little Richard or Jerry Lee, yeah. you know. It's so... that That's the difference between it. But then at the same time, like you're saying, Willie, Chuck Berry is just as rock and roll as Elvis Presley or Absolutely. Mike Turner or so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Sure. Yeah. So it's, you know... Where do you start and where do you begin? If someone's rock and roll was Chuck Berry, then their rock and roll would start with Chuck Berry's first sure. rock and roll song. Yeah, you yeah, know? which is comparatively late. hundred percent. To say the least. Later. But then that's what I mean. So I always I always find that rock and roll is a very personal thing anyway. It's 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 this it's full of grey areas, it's yeah. not cut and dry. And you know, because for some people and this is going to be a bit of a weird statement, but I guarantee for some people out there, rock and roll started for them listening to the Beatles. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're looking at the early 60s, yeah. you know, which is, yeah. which is 12 years after Roy Brown. Yeah. Like, and so, mm. but that's their rock and roll. And they have every single right to call that their start of rock and roll. My first ever rock and roll song was uh, Saw Her Standing There. Yeah. You know. Or, sure. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, it then goes. It then goes. We're kind of full circled here, haven't we? It's, yeah, we've it's, kind of it's undone the question thing. that we've already asked. It's, um, yeah, yeah, we have done that. And you know, I think it's a good way to sort of start wrapping this subject up. But uh, um, I think, can I just ask as well? Ike Turner didn't sing Rock '88, did he? No. no, you've actually told us this already in your timeline. So I'm glad you that you researched and read that thoroughly. No, I did. No, I did research it, but I just we haven't mentioned it. Yeah, um, Jackie Branson. I. Yeah, well, I don't really know why. Why do we call it Ike Turner's Rocket 88? Because he didn't write it either. But it was his band. Yeah, it was his band. Yeah. Uh, and he he did front a lot of it. And there are a few different... Th- it's one of these things where different people tell different stories. Um, that he was... He wanted to record something else. So he gave the song to Jackie and regretted it right. later on because Jackie took the band and then went on tour and then eventually came crawling back and became a sideman. Um and there's other stories that he was uh, he was asked not to do, it and all the, like there's all these sorts of different things about it. But for whatever reason, he didn't sing this particular one. And uh, Jackie Brenston was very young, and suddenly, you know, his head swelled with the success. Mm. And mm. it is it is funny though that it is called that because you even type in Ike Turner uh, Rocket eighty eight into Spotify, and the picture that will turn up is. A picture of Ike Turner just sat looking down the lens. Yeah. Um, I mean, if that's still on there now, it, it definitely has been for the last three or four years. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, but this, I suppose it's just one of those things, isn't it? Like, there's no kind of, we're never going to know the answer to yeah. that. Yeah. It's like, one of those unusual mm. situations that just seem to happen for, for, you know, on the off chance and it's become a part of music history mm. and they never would have predicted that. Apparently they wrote the song on the way to the... Studio, you know, it's one of those sort of things. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like, how much of it do you believe? How yeah. much is made up nonsense in yeah. an interview one day when they were feeling a bit weird? Before we do start to to wrap up, boys, let me ask you both a question. Because we talked about um, Roy Brown briefly about Chuck. How mm-hmm. important is the writing element in rock and roll? We talked about Elvis before and that he didn't write any of his songs, even though he got the co-writing credit. How important <sighs> is that? Because the, it is... Except for people like, Tommy, you were talking about Boogie Woogie, so people like Pine Top, who were obviously writing the yeah. instrumental stuff back in the, the 20s and the 30s. But rock and roll seems to be a shift into, into writing Buddy Holly, Chuck Berry, Roy Brown way before. 
What do you reckon, Tomek? Well, okay. So there's another track um, I wanted to talk about. Which, well, well, well. Um, I'm sure people can just go away and listen to called Hard Luck Blues. Um, and it isn't rock and roll. Uh, it's very much a blues track, mainly because it's in the title. Uh, but the start of it, I'll just, I'll give, if anybody says this isn't Heartbreak Hotel, they're, they're lying. I mean, it's called, as I said, Hard Luck Blues by Roy, Roy Brown. It's Heartbreak Hotel. It literally, the, the intro is Heartbreak Hotel. And I reckon Elvis in Memphis would have heard this at some point, being obsessed with music and want to co- and, and commit to uh, a, a music career. I think it, there would have been some sort of subliminal thing. He would have heard this at some point. So when the writer of Heartbreak Hotel came to him and said, I've got this track I want you to do, he there would be a bit of him goes, I know how to do this because I've already heard this. And so when we're talking about writing a track i don't think it's necessarily that you need to put the dots on the paper i think it's that you need to have heard it before um and and as jay said earlier about learning a scotty moore thing on guitar even if he is trying to do exactly like scotty did he's never going to do it he's going to do jay's version of scotty moore's guitar and so so through so is that so back to your original question is the writing important in rock and roll that's another double-ended sword because I mean, yeah, arguably yes, but also you're writing and covering all at the same time. Interesting. Interesting. That's my point. Okay. Okay. Um, That's really difficult. It's a really difficult question. It is. It's, it's, it's a really difficult one to, to nail down. And no, don't. I mean, I, sure. I wasn't looking for an answer, <laughs> a definitive answer. Don't worry. Um, Professor Osborne? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, how important is the writing? I mean, if we're looking at as a, a on the surface question, very important, um, surely, uh, because if there was no writing, there would be no songs. Okay, the, um, this isn't the sort of conversation I wanted to be having. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird because for me, I feel with a lot of genres that the core, the heart, the soul of the music is the writing, and everything else that comes with it is just like uh, extremely wonderful byproduct of it um but i feel with rock and roll that the writing is kind of like one of the byproducts and the heart and the soul is the heart and the soul of it you know is that is is what it does what it is um you know it's about slamming your foot on the floor and like grabbing someone and dancing with them and turning around and like just letting loose and and, and having fun and all those things that you, you, you know, you would stereotypically pair with uh, rock and roll. So the writing is, is important, of course it is. But for me, I think it's got a lot more to do with the feeling of the music. Right. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, I, I think from my perspective, if we're looking at rock and roll as a section of music history, uh, at the time... 100% is all about the feeling and it's about the um about the foot stomping and the you mm. know the the wildness and the exuberance of the yeah. whole thing if we're looking at it at, in its place um that then goes on to influence the rest of music i think the writing becomes far more because people like because of people like chuck berry and buddy holly who, yeah. oh, who were yeah. in there and oh yeah what and um, were able to be in much more in control of their own sound and, and and they were much more a part of the conversation. But the beauty of that in itself is that that, that writing 
has gone on to be such an influence on, in my opinion, most uh, genres that are out there now. Even if you listen to one and go, this is nothing like rock and roll. There's going to, I feel there's going to be something in there that has has been, you know, taken from rock and roll somewhere along the line. Yeah. Um, but at the time, they these guys writing these songs, you know, like like Chuck uh, Berry and and people like that, is they they weren't doing it for that. Mm. They were doing it for the feeling, which is why it make why it makes the writing such a beautiful and amazing and powerful byproduct of that because they were at the time writing that for that mm. foot stomping amazing wild like crazy kids yeah, out there yeah. singing and drinking on the yard time <laughs> um they weren't doing it to try and lay the foundations no, no, for no, like no. a new musical of revolution or something and i think because they they were doing it that way and weren't conscious of what was coming next. You know, writing and playing and singing for the moment of what was right and what felt right and what sounded right and what people wanted and not living up to expectations or trying something revolutionary that yeah. it then in itself became revolu- uh, revolutionary. Yeah. Which is, I think, well, when you think of it, pretty cool, yeah. really. Tell I'm me. Buddy Holly's solo and That Will Be The Day is um i think i was watching a documentary about a year ago about this and um uh, jerry allison just said that buddy used to walk down the street and it was just a, a guitarist that used to just do this uh and then sort of can't go into a blues song and and actually half of that solo i mean you can't really play that'll be the day without doing buddy holly's solo it's like not doing the solo and rock around the clock isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah but um is half of this solo and that'll be the day is the thing, the little pockets of like music he would have heard as he just walked down the street, and so he kind of just smashed it together. And we now know it's Buddy Holly, but I'm sure that he would probably admit if he was alive today that it's not really his solo. It's it's bits he's heard of along course. the way to form to form this thing. So you know, it well the lovely thing about rock and roll is that nobody owns it. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody really hey. owns it because I think everybody would go away and go, I don't really own this. It's hey, the what best I've musicians, composers, and songwriters in the world are thieves. Yeah, the best artists. Full stop. Yeah, are thieves. We're all pirates. If, you, if you're a musician that doesn't steal, you are not a musician. Yeah, you're not coming up with anything. It's madness. Um, let me, but just we don't we don't encourage thievery. But no, uh, we don't. But, I do. You know, I mean. It, it, creates character i suppose well, to follow on from what jay was saying it, it, you made me think um what we haven't discussed is that rock and roll was one of the f- i mean there was the bobby Soxes before which i talked about at length in the the previous podcast the the era of Sinatra. God, that was at length. but um rock and roll is also the rise of the teenager right mm-hmm. it's in a in a big big way and it connects to that feeling of of the listener being uh, almost on a level with the performer and with the lyricist and if they're one and the same then even more so and if 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 what you're saying about them writing from a place of that same uh that same feeling and that same you know heart pounding stomping energy feeling energy yeah. of the songs um it, it comes from that place and this this is a marked shift i think in songwriting as much as anything else, you can see it in, in in gospel music and in rhythm and blues. Of course, you can because that comes from that pl- and from blues as well because it comes from that very internal place 
um, where it's so so expressive, but in a shift from the previous era where you have these songs, um, Gershwin and Cole Porter and that, where these songs are just like the music stars themselves. They're not about heart beating, uh, wild passion, and they're much more heady and intellectual and poetic in a way. Mm. Rock and roll is much, much more straight ahead, much more connected with the body and with the emotional and the sensual world, Mm. which connects with the youth because this is what the youth are all about. Right. And when they're freed in this way that as we see, as we see the decades roll on the, the teenagers of the fifties and sixties are a whole new breed of youth. And if if we come to the, the, that songwriting aspect where they're writing songs, which are based around their, about their, around their emotion and their feeling and their, their sensual, uh, and about their senses, full stop, that becomes much more accessible for people as well. Do you see what I mean? And that mm. has been another marked shift in yeah. songwriting. Yeah, and it kind of makes you think. Kind of makes you think, like, um, if it wasn't, I mean, th- this is getting into a whole different subject now, um, and, and and we'll cover this in a later podcast, uh, I should think. But like, it kind of makes you think that, like. Was it the style and the feeling of rock and roll that made the teenager emerge? Um, or was it the teenagers that made, you know, were the teenagers just looking for a music style to be able to release themselves? And if yeah. that's the case, then rock and roll could have been something completely different to what we know it yeah, as, of course. which is really strange yeah. to think of. Yeah. Well, I like to think, what you just mentioned there, Willie, about um, Cole Porter and Gershwin, and as you said, fantastic sort of lyrical, uh, brilliant sort of intellectual music. I like to think of that as sort of music scholars have got together and agreed, this is what we want to hear. This is good music. Yeah. And the opposite of that is rock and roll. And people go, why are you playing it? And you go, because I like it. It's fun. It makes me feel good. There is no like, you don't go there you know there isn't a rock and roll scientist out there or yeah. uh, and there are scholars out there as we know but at the time it was just all agreed upon and nobody knew why they just liked it yeah it wasn't um, artistic merit nobody dissected it nobody wrote down oh so what did they do in that solo exactly what was the you know what were the chord they doing they just did it um and so that's what i uh the the the, the good comparison between sort of teenagers and adults in a way they don't do it because they they've thought about it they just do it yeah, and for the first time, the teenagers were, were had an outlet in that way, which was very, very different. Yeah, lovely. Well, we've definitely gone on a lot longer from the first time I said, well, let's wrap this up yeah. now. <laughs> so, but we knew we would. It's always going to be like this. And to be fair, we were saying this earlier, Willie, like, it's really nice that we've picked a subject that that we get frustrated that there is too much information. Yeah. There are no answers, yeah. and there never will no, be. No, but yeah. that's what makes no it answers. so interesting. But thanks for listening, suckers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, this brings us on to the part of the show, which is the mystery train. Yep, it's that time, everyone. That time that we've been told actually so far is is, is one of the most favourite bits of the podcast. Yeah, people seem to love this bit. Yeah, it's uh, so if Good. you're listening for the first time, I love it. Uh, this is called Mystery Train, and this is the part of the uh, podcast where. Uh, the three of us pick a fact each. We don't tell each other what it is. Mm. Um, and uh, we tell each other the facts and we have a chat about it. And then between us, uh, we decide who um, who's going to have like fact of the week. And I think last week, uh, our running champion so far, 
who is one nil nil up, is uh, Mr. Christopher Woolly Weeks. Hi. Um, and uh, this week, um, you know, we're going to see if it's him again or if it's someone else. So um, I'm just happy to be playing, honestly. Yeah, it's really good to have you here. Thanks. Thanks. No, it's um, a pleasure. Uh, so let's start uh, <laughs> with the loser from last week, which is Tomek. Hold on. How does that make me the loser? <laughs> we're both on nil. Well, look oh, at you. Hold on. Oh, I used to say it like that. I was like, hold on. Was I really slow about it as well, wasn't I? No, let's start with Based the winner. We're going to start with the winner every uh, every week. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with uh, Mr. Fur, uh, Mr. Fur, Mr. Fur, Christopher, Willie for Weeks. Hi, Jay. Uh, thanks. Everybody's so nice to be here. Thanks for joining me this evening. Um, now... I, I, so my fact comes out of something that we've we've already been talking about. We uh, how could we not in this pod talk about Rocket eighty eight? Now I mentioned that they wrote this song allegedly as they were driving to the studio. Now a famous car of the time um, was made by General Motors. It was called the Oldsmobile Rocket eighty eight, and it was one of the first cars to have a V eight engine. It came out in nineteen forty nine. One of the first muscle cars, and it dominated NASCAR. And uh, it had a slogan which was "Make a date." With a Rocket 88. So obviously, ah. that's that advertising would have been in their that minds. Cool. Um, but my fact is that um, the sales for the Rocket 88 went up so much that General Motors gave Jackie Brenston one of the cars to thank him for the extra publicity. Nice. That is How really awesome cool. is that? After ever, what about like, no, I got nothing and he liked nothing. it. <laughs> Well, I've got a story I like, like, like that. My, uh, my dad, when he was younger, he did a Toblerone advert and they gave him a Datsun. Is that true? That is true. I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's not bad. That's a great fact. Yeah. Um, that's brilliant. That would be really interesting and really geeky, but like to look at the actual like comparison of the record release date to the sales numbers to yeah. see what they are. Like, it must be a spike. Big it spike. must have. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I reckon it really, really helped. That that's a good. That that's business. a. That's a great fact. Um, I have to say, you're definitely winning at the moment. Ah, oh, feeling uh, good, boys. Um, let's then go over to uh, Tomek Savinsky Brown. Okay, here we go. In an interview with Rolling Stone magazine in 1971, Ike Turner recalled how, despite this being a local hit, he made little from it. Quote. Some dude at the record company beat me and I only got $40 for writing, producing and recording it. And the lead singer, Jackie Brenston, took the band from me and went on his own. So $40 back in 1951 is $411.16 in today's money. But basically, he kind of sold the song to Sam Phillips and got nothing for it. So this is probably why he has a little bit of a bitter aftertaste about it. A little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Only got, Jesus. Only got $40. And as we, as we sp- I mean, said to be fair, that- it's not like he didn't do very well after that. Like, yeah, he's, you know, he's, true. He's, but I see his point. He didn't produce it as well, right? Like Sam Phillips produced well, it. Well, apparently, this clear. is what he says. Oh, it's this just is what a load he of nonsense. Says. Yeah. In the right. <laughs> Tom, get him out of the room next door. I want to work with him. <laughs> oh, God, no. Uh, he's, well, he's not really. Um, not in a good uh, way. Yeah, very so, interesting. Yeah. Very so interesting. $40. Think, have I heard that before? Did I, I think I might have read that somewhere. I, I read various articles uh, where uh, Ike Turner has been interviewed about Rocket 88. The professors in, in session. Come on, they. <sighs> Jeez. But I can't recall that well, one. Well, so. interesting. The, the other members of the band were paid $20 each. 
but with the exception of Brenson, who sold the rights to Phillips for $910. Wow. Wowzer. So, you know, if you want to do some quick maths, you know, that's a, that's a big buck. That's more. That's, that's way even more. more now. Significantly more. Way more. Um, there you have it. It's it like really nice. Thank you, Tom. I really enjoyed that. Um, Thanks, so my fact of the week um, is uh, going back to um, the man that I've been obsessing about this whole uh, podcast, which is uh, Roy Brown, um, who released Good Rocking Tonight, uh, the one that wandered the streets. No one wanted to buy his song. Uh, he eventually uh, got um, got a bit of interest from Cecil uh, Gant and showed it to uh, Deluxe Records. Uh, who sung it over the phone and they just instantly bought it and it became big. Anyway, um, as sort of time went on a few years later, he got in a lot of um, financial difficulty, um, shall we say. Uh, And uh, he actually ended up getting into uh, a lot of problems with uh, the IRS. Um, And he lost a lot of money and he ended up meeting a certain someone backstage and asking them for money. Uh, and this gentleman uh, took out a bit of brown paper and scribbled a check on this bit of paper. Not enough to cover what uh, Roy Brown needed, uh, but to help him out. And this man was none other than Mr. Elvis Presley. <gasps> what was he doing there? He was backstage, he was doing a show. Ah, how much was it? I don't know. It doesn't actually say. I did research that and I couldn't find anything. Um, but it goes on about there was there was a lot of there was a there was a song or two that Roy Brown released and that Elvis eventually covered. And I'm guessing he made a lot of money. And I've read various articles. One article saying that um, Roy Brown um, went in search of Elvis. In like an in like a fury to try and get money from him because he stole his song, um, and then there's another article that says that Elvis then uh, bumped into Roy Brown and he was like, "Oh hey, Elvis, how you doing?" And Elvis was so like nervous and scared and worried because he'd taken his song that he then just took like a pen and paper out and wrote some money to him. Um, but then there are other sources, like I said, where he was in a bit of a sticky situation and um, Elvis happened to. Um, happened to give him a lending hand. So oh, I think that's a really wow. lovely, nice, well, really lovely story. As we know. Well, yeah. Then, can you just write on brown paper and that's just a check now? Is that how the <laughs> yeah, world that's works? Yeah. Well, this yeah, is Elvis Presley we're talking about, mate. You can do anything. Yeah, but they, I mean, you take it to a bank, you'll be like, oh, Elvis wrote that. They'll be like, yeah. <laughs> sure he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. He was there. Oh, just take some money out of his account then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's do that. That's a really good idea. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, great. Ridiculous. Um, Again, it's all folklore, isn't it? We don't know. Um, oh, I know. But there's some some great facts there. Uh, oh. what, what, do, what do you think, guys? Who do you think the winner is for this week? Well, the one that made me gasp was you, Jay. Wow. I'm going to vote for Willie Weeks myself. Oh, it's very oh, generous no. of you. What are you thinking, Willie? I should probably vote for myself. I think you're what? right. I no. think the winner of this week is Mr. <laughs> Christopher Willie do... Weeks. No. What? Hang on, what's that. the matter with you? Just bitter that I'm not including this. That's a bit much, isn't it? Um, no, I will absolutely not vote for myself. I will vote for Jay Osborne. Oh. Because it's a great fact. And imagine if it, it was is. true. 
Imagine if it was more than the folklore and that Elvis's brown bits of paper were <sighs> magical to the banks and they're like, oh, Elvis, oh, yeah, I recognize this. Yeah, I've seen this before. Very yeah, generous guy, Elvis, in Venice. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's wow, I'm humbled. Thank you. Uh, so that mean that does mean that Tomek is at the moment the loser. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what we need. Um, so we'll bring it up next week. Shock. Um, but moving on, we actually have some fan mail. Oh yeah, oh, do we? Oh, we do. Cool. We do. Uh, and, is this your um, son, Chris? <laughs> Tomek, don't joke. He can't speak properly yet. Or, or, or write things. or spell. Yes, he, but he, he calls me poo poo. He actually does. He does. It's brilliant. He didn't even train him. You can't say Tomek. I mean, it is a tough name even for the... That's true. He can the, say the, apple, the sturdy happy, brick. tea, can banana, say most words. giraffe, yeah, igloo. Elephant, lion. <laughs> but he can't say... But Tomek... Comes out as poo-poo. It becomes poo-poo. Funny so there stuff. you go. I think it's wonderful. Um, yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's time for some listener mail. Um, and we actually got three que- uh, three questions... Uh, and they were, and you're going to believe it, they were all about Tomek. Yeah. Um, yeah, here we go. Yes. Uh, he, he, that... he doesn't know this, and Willie... I honestly don't. And, 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 <laughs> and Willie doesn't know this. I, I told him there was some mail just before we started recording, um, but he doesn't know what the questions were. But people have um, been talking about Tomek a lot, in fairness. When I've mystery. been talking to people who've listened to the podcast, they yeah. talk about Tomek. We, we've, we've asked every, everyone that we've come into contact with over the last week... We've said, oh, so who's your favourite on the podcast? And it's always Tomek. Always. And I don't know whether it's like... The legend. Whether it's a general love for Tomek or whether it's just them feeling so sorry for him. You know exactly what it is. Oh, yeah, it's a pity love. It's it's a pity love. Pity love is love, you know. Um, Love is love is love is love. (laughs) So the first first one uh, was uh, from a woman called Michelle, who's from the Brecon Beacons. uh, And um, she says, hi... Uh, when can I have a personalised Tomek timeline? Which I, oh, which I think well, is... you can uh, you can contact me, Michelle, on oh seven. Miss that, mate. Oh, so, did you not get that? Yeah, by all means. I mean, again, it's um oh seven. That's oh seven nine one seven eight one five. let's not say <laughs> that actual number. That's mental. <laughs> if that that is mad. Uh, no, but uh, I tell you what, I should I should go on Fiverr and then people will be like, you know, <sighs> send in send in a timeline and I'll, I'll record a, a timeline for them. I am on Fiverr. That would not sound. And Jay, I'll get Jay, I'll get you to edit it, and I'll not give you any commission for it. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and Brilliant. Chris, you're just there. You're just there, like listening to it. Great. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's been my life. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the answer to your question, Michelle, is um, it is it is a possibility. But he wants money for it. Is it. A possibility. Isn't that awful. That's awful. Oh, that's, that's grubby. <laughs> Not for Michelle, but for the future. You know. Oh, so Michelle's a freebie. Michelle, I'll do it for Michelle for freebie. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. That's awful. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Is it? Yeah, he's doing it for free. Um, for a fan. So the next one is from a girl. Uh, I think it's a girl. Uh, called Ocean. Very lovely name. Oh, lovely name. Um, she's from Calgary lovely. in uh, Canada. And she says, uh, Tomek, you are quite quiet on the podcast. Are you a quiet person mm-hmm. by nature? Mm, well, hmm. no, I'm going to say no, I'm not. But I love to listen to people. I think that's probably <laughs> why I love, I love a good listen. Why is that funny? <laughs> I'm not quite, I'm not quite a person. Oh. Why is that funny? 
I just... That's good. I'm not the... Right, okay. In answer to the question, I'm not the loudest in the room, but I'm certainly not a quiet person. I just really take in what people are saying. There you go. Wow. Great. It's like blind date. Yeah. It really and is. Talking about a blind date, our final question oh. uh, is from, oh. funny enough, a guy, black. a guy called uh, Chris. Um, it's not me, to be clear. It's not him, to be clear. It's actually Christopher. Um, and it's he's also my from name. Liverpool, hence the reference. Hi. Um, and oh, he says... Um, uh, listening to your podcast I heard that Jay plays guitar Chris uh, plays bass Tomek what do you actually do? <laughs> oh right <laughs> just do what do I do? Tomek, like? what do you actually do? Um, no, I think do. it's actually yeah, what, what do you actually, actually do? do as in, in life in the band I think I'm guessing it's in the band I just like he should have just said Tomek what are you playing at? Right? <laughs> Tomek who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? <laughs> so, That's Tommy, can you tell the listeners, uh, what do you yes. actually do? So, uh, in rock and roll, uh, my principal instrument is a piano. I play do you have piano. principal instruments in rock and roll? That might be the well, least rock and roll thing anyone's ever said. Well, when oh. I do, no, but when people book me for a gig or whatever, you know, it's always like Tommy the pianist. You know, if I'm going to, if, your I, if somebody's secondary looking for a guitarist, I'll go, Jay. Your secondary instrument well, is the trombone, right? Is the trombone, but you know, it isn't typically, it's not a classic rock and roll instrument. You oh, well, oh, no, let's horn, be fair. It's going to be a sax. No, it's going to be a saxo, isn't it? If you want if you want, a, if you want a horn, you just want one, it's going to be a saxophone. Am I right? I mean, obviously, yes. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I say, you know, if you want trombone, I'll do it. No one's asking for that. No. Unless well, Michelle wants it. I'm just saying it. I will. Unless Michelle wants it, for which I'll do it for free. <laughs> Basically, anything Michelle wants, I'll do it for free. <laughs> Somehow She's a lucky out. listener. She's become yeah, well, the star or, of the or unlucky. Half of the podcast. She hasn't met me yet. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for the fan mail. Well, um, yeah. I mean, amazing. It's amazing. Tommy appreciates his fan mail. Thank um, you very much. I we really would maybe that. like a little bit. <laughs> Obviously, we're yeah. it's clear as crystal who we are. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but we're fine. We're, we're <laughs> yeah, fine with that. No, we're just, you know, tagging um, along on No, no, no. It's just more for me, please. Thank His you. mighty coattails. Um, so, uh, yes, we're very excited because this week has been a topic week. Mm. And uh, next week, we're going to be going back to our artist week. Um, and the episode's usually a little bit longer because uh, we've got a lot more to squeeze in. But it was Tomek's pick. Uh, for next week and so next week who are we going to be doing Tomac? Arguably the voice of rock and roll we're going to go with Little Richard oh, It's going to be stuff. a big one oh, It's going to be a big I'm already big excited one. I know I'm actually yeah, itching absolutely. my knee as we speak um, I'm related Well there's not much <laughs> left um, for us to talk about I mean there's lots to talk about but we're going to have to wrap it up and we're going to do our usual thing uh, and pass over to Chris Weeks um, but before I do I just want to say um, feel free to check us out and if you want to send any listener mail in uh, we have an Instagram account which is Straight Out The Fridge Podcast uh, and we also have a Twitter account which is at Straight Out The that's it Apparently, straight out the fridge was already taken, so we are just straight out the, which is a bit embarrassing. <laughs> I know, I, lo- I really like it. But that. actually, it's kind of funny. Um, well, we Facebook also, as well. Sure. Also, Facebook account, just put in uh, straight out the fridge into the search bar, and you'll find us there. 
Um, we'd really, really love to hear from you. Uh, we've noticed that we've had listeners from literally all over the world, which is so exciting to us. And we want to hear about um, some rock and roll stories uh, that you've heard. Uh, you know, even just tell us what your favourite song is, uh, what things you do like, don't like, what you agree with, what you don't agree with, whether we got stuff right or wrong, um, how much you love Tomek and how much you obviously hate myself and Willie. <laughs> uh, but whatever that is, we want to hear from you guys. And I'm going to hand over to Mr. Fur... Uh, Mr. Fur... <laughs> I've done it again! Uh, Mr. Christopher Weeks for the handoff. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. Uh, yeah, as Jay says, we've said from the very start, this we want this to be a discussion and a conversation. I mean, the, the, the thing for me with this 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 week's episode has been, you can't put your finger on it, but my God, it's good to talk about it, isn't mm. it? Oh, you could just it's go on an and on. Outlet. It's just brilliant. Yeah, baby. Absolutely. So um, for all of you listening out there, however you are listening, if you've just stumbled across us, please, please, please do subscribe. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from, please do subscribe so you don't miss our next installment or any of the ones to come. Go back and listen to Elvis in our introductory episode as well. And please do leave uh, a rating and uh, a comment down there. And we will either include you in the podcast as we've been able to do this week, or we will uh, get back to you via one of our many social media accounts but all i want to say is wherever you are in the world whatever time of day it is when you are listening to us thank you so much for joining us and for being with us and uh, my name has been and probably will be for some time chris weeks i've been joined by jay osborne and tomek savinsky and together we are straight out the fridge see you soon